Hello, Natish. Hi, Lizzie. Where are you right now? I am sitting in a corner right outside the Daniel Patrick Moynihan Courthouse of the Southern District of New York. Slate's Natish Pawa is there covering the trial of Sam Bankman-Fried, the disgraced founder and CEO of cryptocurrency exchange FTX. Bankman-Fried, also known as SBF, did testify on Thursday, but it was more of a back and forth between lawyers and the judge. The main event, for the jury to hear, was on Friday. And this was the big day Sam Bankman-Fried testified. Um, What's the scene there? What was it like when you got there? We've been generally trying to get here pretty early in the mornings to, you know, try to get a courtroom perspective, maybe. What I did not count on was people literally getting here in some cases at like 3 a.m., 2.30 a.m. to (laughs) get their spots. And I mean, they got them, you know, applause to them. Uh, I am glad that they were able to make the effort. I hope they get a lot of sleep after. But yeah, I got here at 6 a.m. and I think I was today 37th officially in line. Yeah. And there were many, many more behind us, of course. Bankman-Fried faces seven charges of fraud, money laundering, and conspiracy. And thus far, the jury has heard from a parade of witnesses that do not make him look good. How much for the defense is riding on this moment of Sam testifying? I mean, I think it's all or nothing at this point because the defense throughout this trial has not really had its own real constructive story or narrative to push back against what the government is alleging in this case. So far, when they've cross-examined witnesses, it's usually been a lot of smaller questions. They've tried to imply certain points, maybe that, oh, like you're saying this because you're cooperating with the government, right? Or, oh, you didn't know this because you weren't in this position, right? Like, oh, Sam was doing this because he's CEO, right? But they never totally spell it out or anything. So I, there's barely a defense already as is. So basically, Sam taking the stand is their Hail Mary. That's all they have left. Today on the show, Sam Bankman-Fried takes the stand in his own defense. It's a high-risk move, but he's running out of options. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Let's talk a little bit about some of the main beats of his defense testimony. What does the strategy seem to be? I think the strategy, if there can really be said to be one at this point, is to paint Sam again as someone who did nothing wrong. And if things went wrong at his companies, FTX and Alameda Research, it was for a few different reasons. One, he listened to his lawyers and his lawyers signed up on everything. Two, he trusted his friends who helped him run his companies, Caroline Ellison, Gary Wang, Nishad Singh, others, and they all but let him down. Three, Sam was so busy eventually acting as the face of FTX, trying to get his marketing out there, trying to 
network with so many other famous people or powerful folks and getting investments or investing in other places that he just didn't have time to look at the granular details Hmm. and the people he trusted to look at those, again, could not be trusted, it turns out. That's a little bit of a reprise of what we heard in his big media tour after FTX went under, which was kind of, well, I wasn't following the details. I didn't do anything criminal here. I probably just wasn't paying attention. Exactly. And I mean, obviously, like a lot of his charges here rely on intent. They're, you know, conspiracies for securities fraud, uh, conspiracy commodity fraud and straight-up wire fraud, etc. But it also definitely sounds like um, John J. Ray, the bankruptcy lawyer for FTX, was correct when he said that there's just... He's never seen such a lack of corporate controls. Because if we are to take Sam at his word here, it sounds like he knew nothing was going on. That I mean, I'm not a businessman, but that doesn't sound like a great CEO to me. Are there any particular moments in the testimony on Friday that stand out to you? Mainly from how Judge Lewis Kaplan was reacting, if anything. Um, He's been, I've I've written this in some of my dispatches, he's been pretty funny, snarky throughout this whole trial, like making little digs at both the prosecution defense when he seems warranted or like cutting in to tell a story or a joke of sorts um, that is still relevant to the case in some manner. And today, however, he seemed less like a kind of snarky and more exhausted. He clearly did not enjoy how long this slice of testimony was taking. He was not happy, I don't think, with the fact that they had to have this additional hearing yesterday before this uh, big actual jury blowout today. And I think uh, he just looked at when, you know, Cohen was asking Sam certain questions about this or that. He'd be like, okay, can we get on with it? Sam, you're not giving an answer right now. This this is all extremely vague. Um, We really need this to pick up, like right now. Can we wrap it up soon? It (laughs) was... Pretty striking. I mean, this is the first like criminal case I've ever reported from, but I would somehow doubt that this is a common occurrence. One of the biggest questions hanging over this case is how FTX treated customer assets. What did Sam Bankman-Fried say? First off, during today's testimony, and I did think this was interesting, he straight up denied using customer assets, but... One of his lines of argument and one of the defense's lines of argument similarly is that people who were FTX customers and who opted into certain trading programs on FTX, specifically spot margin trading, had basically all but given their permission to have their deposits be used by FTX in case... uh, things went awry for Hmm. other people at the company, which that's one argument for sure. And they're also trying to argue that such margin trades were the most significant part of the platform. That being said, I've seen nothing so far, like whenever they've exhibited FTX terms of service or uh, 
specific instructionals around uh, margin lending or customer assets and otherwise that actually suggests in any way that it was okay for Sam to have allegedly funneled these customer deposits, whether margin trading or not, into a secretive little bank account and then using it to splurge on investments or donations of his choosing. And, and it's straight up in, again, these terms of service and everything. It says like, a, you know, assets, customer assets are segregated away from others. But by any account, those customer assets were not segregated. You can ask anybody who lost money after FTX's bankruptcy over the past year. So I'm not sure how convincing that's going to be. I can't see inside the mind of the jury, obviously. But I highly doubt that his straight-up denial is going to hold water. What about the relationship between FTX and Alameda Research, its sister hedge fund? Alameda borrowed some $8 billion from FTX, and that's that's the $8 billion in question, right? That's the some customer money in question. Um, how did Sam describe that $8 billion under questioning? Yeah, so there's a couple different ways he's gone about talking about this, but basically... So the undisputed story, like like Sam is definitely not denying this either, is that Alameda at the beginning when they were starting up FTX was going to be the quote-unquote market maker for the FTX exchange to give it a place for trades and such. And what ended up happening was that there was a bank account set up under Alameda Research, given the name North Dimension, that actually took in the money that FTX customers thought that they were depositing onto FTX. Hmm. And so Sam's argument is that, look, we didn't have bank accounts. Bank Banks didn't want to bank with uh, crypto companies. So what we had to do was just to use our quote-unquote, research firm to make up for this deficit. In order to be liquid and trade and get things moving. Exactly. But then, I mean, and he talks constantly like, look, in the years afterward, because FTX started in 2019, in the years afterward, Alameda was less of a presence on FTX. As we got bigger and more famous, we had other people and Alameda became a smaller slice of the whole equation. But whatever he says about that does not account for that $8 billion. There's been a lot of talk about a computer code bug that funneled way more money into Alameda from FTX than was supposed to happen. But even after that bug was fixed, there was still a big gaping amount. and. We've heard pretty like unambiguously again from SBF's own lieutenants, you know, Caroline Ellison, Gary Wong, that that money was being used by Sam to splurge as he pleased. And I mean, we've all seen the sheets now showing his uh, big multi million dollar investments in Larry David, the Miami Heat uh, stadium, and so on. So 
it's a question of not not just that Sam like lost the money on a lot of places or in investments that didn't pay up, but that he did use it in a way that was not fair to his customers because whatever said and done, there were still a significant amount of FTX customers that did not opt into the spot margin program, much less to uh, having their uh, money taken out and invested in big AI companies or such. So for him to you know, be relying on this argument and to say like, oh, well, actually, it was other people below me who mishandled it is, again, I, I don't find it terribly convincing and I highly doubt the jury does either. When we come back, What does the jury think about all this? Is there any way to know how the jury is receiving any of this yet? Were you able to even see their faces? Unfortunately, I've not been in the courtroom this week. But the days I have been in the courtroom, I've been keeping an eye on the jury and trying to see how they're reacting. At first, they were very attentive taking notes, looking keenly at all the witnesses who've been uh, taking up on the stand. But I mean, uh, today, actually, I asked another reporter right after we got out of the proceedings. This reporter was in the courtroom. I asked him, "Uh, yeah, so how did the jury look? And he just said, tired. They looked (laughs) tired. I mean, and I can't blame them. It appears as though they've had to go through an entire crash course on the crypto industry, And then the specifics of this big aspect of the crypto industry, along with all the big financial fraud terms that come with it. As we mentioned, Sam Bankman-Fried went on this sort of endless media apology tour as FTX was crumbling. Has any of that come back to haunt him during this trial? Yes, definitely. There was a very prominent example of this last week, actually. We heard last Thursday from Tan Sun, who was formerly a general counsel for FTX for about a year or so. And pretty much everyone who's testified has talked about those weeks in November when everything fell apart. And then, you know, a lot of them fled the Bahamas or fled Hong Kong or wherever their offices were. And in many cases, talked to uh, federal prosecutors. When Khan Sun himself was uh, going through that horrible time, he mentioned that on the night that basically everything with FTX was crashing after those tweets from Binance's CEO, Chengpen Zhao, about how he was liquidating all his positions in FTX's token, he and Sam apparently went on a walk around their Bahamian complex. And Sam was asking him, okay, what are legal arguments we can use here to explain what's going on and these big holes, including, as it turns out, this big $8 billion deficit. And what Ken Sun told us in the courtroom, one, was that he gave Sam some potential arguments, but he told them that none of them really actually held water and that he knew this because of his own in-depth knowledge of FTX's legal documents and, of course, the law. 
because he is a counsel. So, and one of those uh, hypothetical, but ultimately bad arguments he presented to Sam was, look, you can say that, and again, this is the line of argument Sam's been also trying to use throughout this trial, and as is his defense, you could say that the borrow lending um, functions enabled by customers who opted into spot margin programs and to having their money used as collateral for other FTX customers, you can say that this facility basically went out of control and lost way more money than it should have, thanks in large part to all the crypto crashes that came happening and hitting currency prices like those of Bitcoin and Ethereum throughout 2022. But again, this does not hold water when you look at our terms of service and you look at how customer assets go. Now, fast forward to not too long afterward, I think just a few weeks after FTX's bankruptcy, when Sam Bankman-Fried agreed to have an interview with George Stephanopoulos for Good Morning America. And during this interview, George, I, I really have to give him credit on this one. He'd had a little packet of uh, printed out of the FTX terms of service and was like looking at them and citing them while he was talking to Sam at one point saying, okay, but you use customer deposits and it says here you should not be using customer deposits. What's going on with that? And then Sam was like, well, he paused. He was thinking back for a bit. There was a bar lending facility. There existed a bar lending facility on FTX. And, and I think that's probably covered. I, I don't remember exactly where, but somewhere else in the terms of service. But they'd have to approve of that. They're saying they didn't approve of it here. They're so saying you approved of it. If you rewind to you know the beginning of FTX, um, where you know some customers were, you know, uh, I think in line with sort of existing relationships that, that they've had, at least in some cases, wiring money straight to Alameda Research in order to trade on FTX. So you do know and you did know that FTX deposits were being funneled to Alameda? So I was vaguely aware that that was how some wires were being sent in the first place. Um, Didn't that set off alarm bells in your head? This uh, clip from the interview was actually played during the trial um, when Kan Sun was testifying. Then after it was turned off, prosecutors asked Kan Sun, so this bar lending thing that Sam said here, you uh, gave him that argument, right? It was you who talked about it with him. And Kan Sun was like, yep, that's correct. And then the prosecutor said, and you told him that this didn't actually hold water, right? Correct. And... Hmm. What did Sam say to that? He acknowledged it. Oh. And apparently his acknowledgement was a very buzzy nod and a yup, yup, is how Ken characterized it. So looking ahead, what's going to happen next week? Because this has been Sam as a defense witness. The prosecution has not really gotten a shot at him yet. The defense has said that they plan on finishing their um, questions for Sam by 11.30 on Monday, at, after which the prosecution will go on for their cross. I think no matter what, it's going to be a pretty lengthy cross-examination, and I would not be shocked if that carries over into Tuesday. 
which would then mean that everything that happens usually at the close of a case is going to be kind of happening in rapid succession. There will be the defense rebuttal, the closing arguments from both sides, which both of them have said are going to be a few hours long each at the very least, in addition to the prosecution's own rebuttal. And then there has to be the hearing to formally present the charges to the jury. So we are going to be in the thick of it all of next week. I think we're actually going to be in all five days, it sounds like, even though we've generally been only doing four-day weeks for this uh, trial. But it sounds like the judge really, really wants to get it done sooner than later. So they're going to pack it all in. And I think Monday is... I, I know that we've been teasing this now ever since it was reported Wednesday that Sam would be taking the stand. But I really do think Monday, at the very latest, Monday afternoon is going to be the day to watch for the prosecution's take. Nitish Pawa, thank you so much for covering this trial and for making the time to talk to me. Thanks for having me, as always. Natish Pawa covers business and tech for Slate. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. And TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you are a fan of the show, the best way to support us is to join Slate Plus. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we will be back next week with more episodes. In the meantime, you can check out all the coverage of Sam Bankman-Fried's trial at slate.com. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. <laughs>